of our series, and uh, we're just going through the series. is literally entitled Sermon on the Mount because we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. And we are teaching and walking through this, and um, already um, it's going much slower than I anticipated. So it's, we could probably be in the Sermon on the Mount for the next uh, six years, uh, but we won't do it. Uh, but we're going to move through actually quite a bit of Scripture today. And um, this was one that as I've been studying for this and looking forward, I kind of had this like initial like dread. Like I wasn't like really excited for this section of scripture until I really studied. It's, it's actually amazing how much we can have sort of cliches around text or when we read something quickly, how it can mean one thing. But when you actually study the word, when you understand the context, when you understand those pieces. And many of you guys are like, Pastor Sam, I uh, don't have time to study. Well, that is part of why we, there's a pastor, right? Like my job, part of my role. I think it's something that's interesting um, that I feel like in 2021, uh, we, we don't like, you know, the role of the pastor has shifted so much. But one thing that I actually see as part of my role is to, hey, I'm going to do a lot of hard work. And uh, we as a team, I even had um, Pastor Alex who was doing a bunch of research on this topic for us. As, as a team, we want to come prepared to help you so you can apply the word better to your life. We're not just talking so you can get my ideas and my thoughts. This is in no way a political platform for me to push any type of agenda. This is just a space for me to teach from the word so then we can apply that throughout the week and hopefully become a little more like Jesus. Amen? That's kind of the goal here. So um, I did my best. Uh, we're we're going to do our best here to dive into a huge topic. And uh, are we going to cover all the different facets and aspects of this passage in this section of Scripture? No. Uh, but we're going to take the next 35 minutes, and uh, we're going to see what Jesus is trying to teach us uh, in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17 here. Uh, we've been going through this. You know, we, we spent a lot of time on the Beatitudes. Last week, we hit salt and light. Um, and then now, this section of Scripture we're going to open with here, it starts in verse 17, and the section's literally entitled, Christ came to fulfill the law. And there, that last word, law, is probably, if you're smart, you realize that's probably why I was not so excited about it, right? You hear the word law, is there anything more boring than law? Unless you're like the guy that's like, no, no, I've watched every episode of Law and Order SVU. Like, I, that's my jam, and give me the law, give me the thoughts, I'm, I'm all about it. Give it to me, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a judge. I have never wanted to be any of those things. So for me, when I read this, I was going, okay, here we go, law, let's do this. But here we go, verse 17, do not think, this is Jesus speaking, mid-sermon now, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes on these laws, these commandments, and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, at first glance, this is a section of scripture that feels almost like, whoa. Like, whoa, this is, this is going to get heavy real quick. Like, this is going to get really, really intense. This is going to be a weight that is difficult to carry. And part of that is because it starts with this word law. I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And, and 
our understanding, I think the first thing, again, we do when we think of law is we do. We think of what are the laws of the land? What does the government tell us we must do and what we must not do? And what are the rules and regulations of the land? And sometimes laws, how many of you know, can get a little crazy, you know? I think even sometimes for me, I'm like, I'm not convinced that that law is there for my good. I think someone's there that just wants to eliminate fun. You know what I mean? I'm like that guy, and you're picturing it like, they just don't want to have fun or whatever. But there's some crazy laws out there. I actually went through this list of some of the craziest laws state by state, of some of the stuff that they actually have, like legal laws, okay? For example, Montana, Montana, if you live in the state of Montana, I was just there, it's pretty awesome, but it's illegal to have a sheep in the cab of your truck without a chaperone. Cool. So if you're going to carry, have a sheep in the cab of your truck, someone's got to be there, you've got to have a shepherd with you. Like there's got to be a shepherd with the sheep, he's got to help you out. In Alabama, it's actually illegal to wear a fake mustache that causes laughter in church. Can't do it. You just cannot do it. Like the cops are going to show up. You put on that fake mustache, somebody laughs at you, it's fine. You can wear a fake mustache as long as no one laughs. But if it causes laughter, like, it's over for you. Like, these are real laws. This is real. Uh, Vermont. Vermont. Women actually must obtain written permission from their husbands to wear false teeth. You're like, that is the most not 21st century law I've ever read in my entire life. Um, so you've got a bunch of rotten teeth unless you get that written. I love that written permission. Not just permit, written permission. In California, animals are banned from mating publicly within 1,500 feet of a tavern, school, or place of worship. They can't do it! They can't do it! You see it happening, just like, what do you do? You shoot them? Like, what do you, what do, you do with the animal? Can't control its instincts, you know what I mean? Alaska, it's considered an offense to push a live moose out of a moving airplane. So, first question, how do you get the moose in the airplane? Second question... How do you push it out? Like, I don't think that's really, like, an option. But this, like, right, these had to have happened for them to make a law. Like, somebody pushed, I'm like, what's the story? Who pushed a live moose out of an airplane? Um, Come on, Alaska. Oklahoma, I just came from Oklahoma. It's illegal to have the hind legs of farm animals in your boots. So you can have the front legs in your boots. You can tuck a front leg. Right down there, gnaw on it later apparently, but a hind leg, you can't put a hind leg in your boot. That's illegal. Don't do it, Brock. I know you want, like, can't do it. Can't do it. It keeps going, guys. New Jersey, this one's crazy. New Jersey, it's against the law to wear a bulletproof vest while committing a murder. <laughs> like, so, so the murderer, oh no, I, I can't wear the bulletproof vest because that's illegal. I don't want to do that while I murder this person. Like, what is that? doesn't even make sense. Who's doing this? New York, the penalty for jumping off a building is death. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) Yep, you took care of, like, what? And then we're like, oh, man, all these weird, freaky states. So glad we live in Minnesota, right? Well, in Minnesota, did you know it's actually illegal to sleep naked? (laughs) Can't do it. Can't do it. Bunch of lawbreakers in here, I know. We won't do a show of hands, but I know you're breaking the law. Come on, we got a bunch of lawlessness happening in this church this morning, man. Well, there's just these crazy laws, right? And, and, and there's laws that are silly. There's laws that are frustrating. There's laws that are limiting. There's laws that are so good in our country, right? There's good ones, bad. They're all in between. But what happens is we have an understanding of the word law based on our state, 
based on our country, based on our background, based on where we are from. And here's what's wild too with laws. Isn't it wild how many laws you probably don't know about? I mean, how many things that you've done that we don't even know about? But the reality is that's created a filter and, and, and it's affecting how you're hearing Jesus right now. And it's because when we read that word law, all of a sudden we go to this place of, of these, these rules and these regulations. And it's really important that we understand what he's talking about here because the next six sections of scripture, he goes on to break down what he means. So Jesus doesn't just leave us with this abolish or this fulfillment. He then goes and gives us all of these examples, which we're going to get to. But I, I hope, church, that we can all take a moment and try to reframe what um, they would have been hearing when Jesus said the word law. Now, because consciously or not, this understanding, our understanding of the legal system, of legal laws, creates a filter for how we hear this teaching from Jesus. It makes us think around the word legal. This is legal. This is a legally binding thing. This is, this is law as in legal. But the hearers and the readers in antiquity would not have carried the same filter that we have today in America. Law in the biblical story, consistent all the way throughout, if you study the word, um, the, the biblical story takes a different form than what we often think of, again, as law today. It's not viewed as simply legal, but it's relating to wisdom, catch this, wisdom and God's purposes. It's related to wisdom. And, and one way that I can help frame it is, is, like, is similar to a wisdom of a father. You know the wisdom of a father? Uh, we see this actually with the Proverbs, right? And, and Solomon's writing these Proverbs, and we understand that Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's wisdom, things you can apply to your life. And in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 through 10, it's actually Solomon saying, Listen, my son, to your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teachings. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. Here the writer's basically saying, hey, hey there's, this is wisdom throughout. This is, these are laws with which you can live by that will help you to be more effective in your life, that are going to help you to build an incredible life. And so when we see Jesus saying this tension is he had to address the fact that Old Testament believers would have been grazed with this law that he's not trying to abolish. He's not saying there's zero wisdom in it. He's not saying it's terrible. He's not saying um, ignore all of those things and do whatever you want. I've come that your freedom can be just do whatever you feel like and whatever. No, no. He's saying I've actually come to fulfill them, which means I've come to get you back to God's original purpose of the law because we've drifted away from his original intent and I want to get you back to that place. And so I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you um, um, the, these things that are going to help you to live a godly life, to help you to live on mission, to live on purpose, and to serve God faithfully. And so it comes from a bit of a different perspective because wisdom enables personal decision, right? So there's this aspect of wisdom when it gains, I can go, okay, now am I going to listen to this? Am I going to apply this? Or am I going to reject this? What am I going to do? I hear the wisdom, whereas legalism, legality, disables personal decision. It, you break the law, you no longer have any decisions to make. Here's just 
the end result, right? In a legal system, it's not about someone's personal decision. It's about what is right or what is wrong, and it's so black and white. And here, Jesus is establishing something where he's saying, hey, I want you to actually be an individual, a person who hears my wisdom, hears the New Testament covenant relationship and, and the law around, and I want you to actually build a life. But I'm going to, to you ultimately have the decision. The decision is put in your court. And, 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 and it's so important. This is where sometimes if we just read this at face value, we can feel like Jesus is trying to be so legalistic and just do these things. And if you do these things, we're good. That's it. That's all I require is, is a do's and don'ts checklist. But there is a deeper layer that, that the disciples listening to the Sermon on the Mount would have understood. This wisdom aspect to it. And again, the next six sections, Nick, next six Sections, that was a hard, that was like a tongue twister right there, of Matthew 5 are not legalistic in nature, but instead are full of wisdom that gets to the root of the issue. You see, the Old Testament law was just really about, hey, here's the rules and regs, and if you mess up, make a sacrifice once a year and wash it clean. Like, all you have to do is basically just confess, and then you're good. And you just need to come, and you just got to atone for the sins of the year. And you got to go make these sacrifices, and then go back and do your life again. And over and over again, we see the Israelites drift away from what is right and end up back in sin, back in sin, back in sin. There was no freedom in the Old Testament law. And here, Jesus is establishing something so new and so important. Stick with me, church, because this is so good. And... Um, and, and one way to understand um, the, the difference between the Old Testament law that, that Jesus is coming and fulfilling compared to the New Testament laws um, is to break them into the three categories. See, if you read the Old Testament, you're going to read a bunch of stuff and be like, whoa, there's some crazy laws in here. Like, there's some wild stuff in here. I'm trying to understand this. One thing that um, helped me, at least uh, when I was in Bible school, uh, was being taught how to break it into the three categories of laws that they had. And, and the first one uh, that we see, there, there were civil laws. For example, when they were in Egypt, this thing is driving me nuts. I need it for a reason, but I'm not used to the lapels. Stick with me, guys. Uh, so there's civil laws, right? These are the laws that engaged how the Israelites handled literally legal stuff. So there was civil laws of the day. And, and the civil laws... Um, shift even where Jesus actually takes this relationship. He goes, hey, we're, as Christians now, we're, we're not just going to create all of our own civil laws. We're actually going to abide by the civil laws of the countries that we're in, and we are going to influence our nation from within. Give to Caesar what is to Caesar's. And no longer are we going to try to section off as our own little people group that's super exclusive and nobody can get in. Now we're going to go into all nations with all peoples, and we're going to affect the nations from the inside. And so we're going to actually abide by the legal legal civil laws and we're going to be good citizens everywhere we go and we're going to affect our nations positively but the civil laws right the, the civil laws of the old testament those aren't applying anymore the ceremonial laws there was all these ceremonial laws right things um laws around sacrifices and things that you gave up and and in the old testament over and over again right it was the sacrificial blood of lambs to atone for your sin but we understand with jesus he came and he actually um was the, right, the, the ultimate shedding of blood. We just honored that with communion. He was the ultimate shedding of blood and brought in this new covenant relationship. And so whereas before there was these, all these ceremonial laws to be made righteous, we now have relationship with Jesus and we receive his righteousness daily from him. And it's a different relationship. But then there's a third category. And those, so the civil and the ceremonial, as you read the Old Testament, it helps you to understand what was important then 
but those don't really apply as much to today except for the moral laws. And here in Matthew 5, Jesus begins to show a bunch of examples of the moral laws of saying, hey, those laws, I'm not, I'm not removing those. I, I'm actually establishing them, but in a new way. I'm establishing them in a new way. Because Jesus' fulfillment of these takes us from fear of punishment. So I'm going to abide by the moral laws out of fear of punishment. Or I'm going to abide by the moral laws out of hope for a purpose. And it's a huge different motivation, right? You, you know this, like, if, if my child is only scared of consequences and that's the only motivation, i got to work on that. That's not a healthy motivation. Because then if the consequence doesn't outweigh the desire, how many of you know they'll keep doing it? And, and then I just have to keep creating a more and more intense consequence. What we want to do is teach kids, right, to desire godly behavior, to desire um, living a better life, to build something greater. In the same way, Jesus is saying, hey, this Old Testament weighty, heavy legal law has actually prevented you from experiencing your purpose. But I want to shift it, and I'm going to show you. And so um, this is what he starts to do. And let's kind of jump around here. I'm going to be out of Matthew chapter 5. It's not going to follow on the screen, but do your best just to, to listen in. So then he starts to give examples. So he says, I'm the fulfillment of the law. And then in verse 21, he, he starts with this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, and he, he'll keep this phrase going in each section. You've heard that it was said. You've learned since your youth. You've understood for years. Here he's literally having to say, here's what you've heard, here's what I'm establishing. Over and over again. Because he's addressing all of these things that made up so much of their civilization, of their life, of their background. And he's saying, hey, this wasn't bad. But the problem was it established a relationship where you were just afraid of being in trouble. But you weren't living to your fullest potential, your God-given purpose. So I'm actually going to establish something different. So for example, anger. He says, you've heard that it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And here's where we go, whoa, no, Pastor Sam, that's heavier. See, he's, he was just talking about murder, and now he says, if I'm just mad at a brother, that I have the same consequence as murder. That's only if you have a consequence mindset. See, if you're thinking fear of punishment, this sounds like a weightier burden to carry. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so before it was murder, now you have judgment. Now it's you're angry at somebody, and now you have judgment. You go, whoa, it just got way harder. Actually, what is Jesus doing? He's saying, the whole point, you don't want to commit murder? Let's get down to the base root. The problem is you have an anger issue, and you're angry at your brother. The, the issue wasn't the murder. It was the thing that built you up to a place of murder. You know how many steps it takes to be angry enough to actually commit such a horrible act as murder? It's so against human nature to kill another human. You know how many things have to build up to that? And he's saying, actually, it's the anger with your brother that you're not checking. So I want to help you to live an on-purpose, fulfilled life. So go and make it right with your brother. Stop it at the root. I'm going to give you wisdom so you can live in peace with all people. I'm going to give you wisdom so you can accomplish purpose. I'm going to give you wisdom, and it's not fear of punishment. It's, it's, it's hope for purpose. Yes. You see the difference? The motivation. I'm going back. I have a hope for a purpose for my life, more for my life, and that motivates me to not ha hold bitterness and anger and resentment in my heart. But if it's just fear of punishment, I don't care what's in my heart as long as I just don't kill that person, as long as I don't hit them. If I'm just scared of the legal system, right, Legal system says I can't go and punch Brock. 
doesn't matter how much I want to punch Brock. doesn't matter how punchable his face is. I can't go punch Brock. I can't hit you right now. The legal system says that. But, but, but if I really wanted to, say we had issue, we had beef, we don't love each other. Say we did. And I just have that in my heart, right? I can go, well, according to the legal system, I'm good that I didn't act on it. And Jesus is saying, it's not about whether or not you act on it. You don't know, but that bitterness is killing you. That offense is, it's actually wrecking your spirit. It's taking away your joy. It's taking away so many good things. It's actually wrecking the potential relationship you have with Brock. But if the goal is not punching him, if the goal is not breaking the law, then I'm cool. And Jesus is like, it's not about that. It, let's get past legality. Stop thinking what's legal and what can you get away with and think, what is it doing to my spirit? What is it doing to my soul? He goes on. He goes on. He talks about lust. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, whoa. Before I just, the, the issue was just don't act on it. As long as I didn't act on it, I'm, I'm good. As long as I don't do anything, I'm good. I can think whatever I want. I can stare as long as I want to stare. I can dwell. I can imagine. I can create images in my mind as much as I want. That's totally cool. But I'm just not supposed to act on it. That's thinking legally. But Jesus is like, I'm after your heart. Brock said it in, in offering. I'm after your heart. Hey, what is, where's your heart actually at? So what's happening is when you're dwelling on those thoughts, when you're thinking those things, that is building you towards a greater act of adultery. And I want you to live on purpose. And that's going to steal and rob your intimacy with your spouse that I've designed you for. It's going to create a barrier and a divide within your relationship because you're dwelling. You may not be acting, but you're dwelling. And dwelling is corrupting your spirit and your heart and your soul just as much as acting can be in so many ways. That's, that's the thing we have to understand is he wants your heart. He wants to get to the base root of the issue. And so this can sound so intimidating, and yet it's so hope-filled. I find so much hope in this teaching. Um, he goes on, he says a bunch of other examples. I'm only going to give a couple others. Uh, he, retaliation, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. You know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that was actually a part of their law, that it was allowed. If somebody hurt you, you could hurt them back. That was a part of the civil law of the Old Testament. They did that in the, in the desert. You want to know Why? It wasn't because there's a contradiction in Scripture. No, no, they did it in the desert because they didn't have a police force. They were wandering in the desert. So they went for an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth type punishment because they were in the desert. And they didn't have anyone to regulate civil law. So they, they created this. And here Jesus attacks this because he says, hey, that doesn't get at the base root. That's a revenge spirit. And I'm not about revenge. And I want to I create peace. And so if somebody slaps you, you give them the other cheek. They want you to go one mile, you go the next mile. And just so you know as well, uh, that's further down. If anyone would, uh, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles, just so you know. Do you know who was forcing them to go miles? It was the Romans. The Romans were forcing them to carry their packs for them, and they had to do it. They had to do it because the legal law of the day said you must. If a Roman officer, centurion, soldier asks you to do it, you got to do it. You cannot say no to them. And so they'd have to carry the packs. And here Jesus is saying, we're good citizens. We're good Roman citizens. So guess what we're going to do? We're going to carry that pack. And then guess what? If they ask us one mile, we're just going to do two and we're going to wow them. We're going to wow them. Why? Because I'm going after your heart. I'm going after your heart. And I want you to have this spirit on you. And it's a different motivation. Let's do one more. It says, love your enemies. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, this is internal, right? This isn't that external. 
Because as long as I don't act on, uh, on, on attacking my enemies, as long as I don't hurt my enemies, as long as I don't do something physical, I'm good. And he's saying, no, no, no. I need you to get to a place where you love them. And that's a different challenge. How many of you know? Like, love somebody who hurts you. I want you to get to that place. And so here, really what Jesus is doing is he's trying to retrain the listeners on how to live. How to live a life under the new covenant that he's establishing. How to live um, um, in, in a way where, yes, is there, is, there, is there wisdom? Is there things that we should do or not do? Yes, but at the end of the day, I'm teaching you how to go to the root. It's not about legality. It's about your heart. It's about getting down to the base root of it. And I thought about this carefully, actually. Um, I've, been, I've been working really hard at golf this summer, okay? So, so I've been playing a lot more golf. And uh, any golfers in the house? One, two, okay. Come on. Come on, golfers. Golfers are quiet, right? We golf clap. Um, that's a misconception, by the way. People get hype on the golf course. You want to see somebody drain like a 30-foot putt? They will jump, I promise. They'll scream. Um, so I realized, though, when I wanted to pick up a golf club that I had two things that were at war. I, I, I was raised with a hockey stick in my hand, right? My whole life, I was shooting my hockey stick. My parents' garage wall is black from me shooting so many pucks. And I had all this repetition over and over and over again of shooting with a hockey stick. And I love hockey still as much today as I ever have. Um, but what, the, what we learn is, right, with, with hockey, um, you would think, right, this is a pretty similar object, right? We've, they've both got, um, right, right, they've both got a, a, a spot at the end to make contact with the ball or the puck. They've both got, um, you know, the pole. They've both got the grip and everything else. And there's a lot of similarities between a golf club and a hockey stick, but what's interesting is everything about your shot is different. There's nothing the same. So it seems like it's a similar purpose. I want to drive this object forward, but with a hockey stick and a slap shot, all of the, the, the weight is on my back foot. The power is on my back foot. My hands are widespread. The point of contact, actually the puck sits right here, would sit right about here, and the point of contact, and then you're, you're shifting your power forward. You actually open up with a hockey stick. There's all of these things, right? And over repetition, I've developed muscle memory, right? There's these things that when I instinctively shoot with a hockey stick, there's comfort and there's all of this. But then all of a sudden you pick up a, a golf club, a golf club, and you're like, yeah, it's the same idea, same concept. Oh, there it goes. And it's the same concept. And, and, and you're just swinging. But, but more and more, and Ben Vashro has been teaching me this a lot, and he's a great golfer and uh, here at our church, but he's been teaching me, hey, actually the point of contact is gonna be off the front foot not the back foot. Actually, you don't want to open up with a golf club. You want to keep your arms more tucked. And, and even the angle of the club is different. You know, the, the way you come at it with the face of the club is different. And the whole shot requires all new muscle memory. And what I've been having to do all summer is I can use my habits, I can use my memory, I can use what's natural with my slap shot in golf and have just a terrible shot. And actually what a lot of times people do is they have bad habits with golf and then they just keep swinging over and over again and they repeat those bad habits, right? Over and over again, they're repeating the toxic habits and building it up worse. And, and literally, for an illustration, stick with me, Jesus is basically trying to take a hockey player and turn him into a golfer. He's saying, I need to shift your thinking on this. There's so many similarities. It doesn't sound all that different, but it is. There's so many nuances. And for you to be effective, you can struggle through your shot, right? How many of you know I can hit a golf ball like this? I can do it all day. I can, 
I can do that. But, but am I going to hit it as far as Ben? No, I'm not going to hit it nearly as far as Ben. I, but, but when I can learn little by little, right, you're learning. Hey, you're tucking, you're delivering, and, and you're sending it. You're launching the ball further. So, so I can limp through my golf game by trying to maintain my hockey stance, or I can become an effective golfer by building new disciplines and relearning from the base root how to shoot and how to do it. And in the same way, that's what Jesus was doing here with his disciples. He said, you have all these habits. You have all these memories. You have all these things built up on how you approach a life of faith. And I need to get back down to the root and reteach you what it means to serve me. Reteach you what law is. Reteach you how to be effective. Reteach you how to have purpose reteach you how to get to the root so that you can actually live an effective life of faith. And I'm going to show you the unforced rhythms of grace. Walk with me. Learn with me. Do as I do. It's not about doing. It's about being. It's about being with me. It's about being like me. So imitate, right? Watch as I do. Watch how I approach my life. And here's the beautiful thing is we actually know that Jesus actually, over the next few chapters, he actually does all of these things. He loves enemies. He loves those who persecute him, right? He, he, he goes and talks to people he's not supposed to talk to. He goes the extra mile. He helps people. He loves people. He does all of these things. He, he stymies anger. He actually goes on to be the example of what we need as the band comes on up. And, and Jesus is showing us over and over again how to go from simply avoiding wrong to actually living from wisdom. It's not about avoiding wrong. It's not about just trying to be a good person. It's about living a life of purpose that's rooted in the wisdom and learning over time that new muscle memory. Reworking shot after shot, moment after moment, right? And, and, and it does, it takes work. Let's take the, 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 the lustful thoughts, right? We know that every time that thought comes, we're going to take that thought captive and submit it to God. And it's going to take time and over repetition, you become better at it and better at it and better at it. Every time that anger wells up inside of you and you want to act on it, you're like, well, I'm just going to hold it in my heart. No, I'm not. I'm going to release it to God. I'm not going to let that be the thing that dominates me and I'm going to submit it to Him. And, and these different things that throughout a life of faith where you're going, hey, I'm actually going to submit this to Jesus and I'm going to live from wisdom. I'm going to live from freedom. And again, we're not looking at it from a legality standpoint. Because here's what's interesting. When you look at the legal system, conviction from a human judge is actually designed to hold you back. You did this, now we're going to hold you back. We're going to put you in jail for this amount of time prison for this amount of time. We're going to hold you back from living your life. Your conviction is the thing that stops you. The conviction that you receive is the thing that holds you back. The difference is, here's how upside down the kingdom of God is. The conviction is the very thing that moves you forward. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is the thing that says, hey, I'm going to not, I'm going to choose to not do that because I'm choosing to do this. I have a conviction not to avoid. I have a conviction to go forward. I have a conviction to do something, not just to avoid something. I have a conviction in my spirit. He flips it on its head and he's saying this thing that I'm doing with you. This No, no, no. It's not because I don't love you. It's not because I hate you. It's because I see more for your life. You can do better. You got this. I want you like the wisdom of a father. I love that it's God the father. The wisdom of the father. Down to the son or the daughter saying, hey, I know you're not perfect. But I want to talk to you about your motivation. 
I want to talk to you about that rut. Because guess what? There's less shame than you think there is. There's more grace than you thought there was. And I want to see you thrive. I want to see you live up to your potential. And many of you guys are thinking, oh, my potential is over. Oh, no. You have so much potential left inside of you. Your potential is just the parts of your life that you haven't let the Holy Spirit get a hold of yet. Because you're living under law. You're living under do's and don'ts. A lot of doing, not being. And as Jesus leads us away from sin, he leads us into our purpose. I'm going to read a quote that uh, Alex sent me that's so good. I tried to only do a part of it, but I felt like I needed to read the whole thing. It's by a theologian named N.T. Wright. And he said this, and it really helps as we close. He said, the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is framed within Jesus's announcement that what his fellow Jews had longed for over many generations was now at last coming to pass. But that new kingdom, church, didn't look like they had thought it would. Indeed, in some ways, it went in exactly the other direction. No violence, no hatred of enemies, no anxious protection of land and property against the pagan hordes. In short, no frantic intensification of the ancestral codes of life. Rather, a glad and unworried trust in the Creator God, whose kingdom is now at last starting to arrive, leading to a glad and generous heart toward other people. Even those who are technically enemies, faith, hope, and love, here they are again. They are the language of life, the sign in the present of green shoots growing through the concrete of this sad old world. The indication that the Creator God, He is on the move and that Jesus's hearers and followers can be a part of what he is now doing, what he is doing, joining in, being a part, playing a role. Old Testament morality was motivated by avoiding punishment, but the New Testament motivation is pursuing a greater purpose. And this goes back to the motivation of being a disciple of Jesus. It's not about doing, it's about being, being with Jesus being like Jesus. So church, we're going to worship for a moment, and we're just going to dwell in the freedom that we have. I really believe this. One of the things you can stand all across this place, one of the things that is so imperative to actually finding victory in your life in these situations is realizing that you probably can't do it on your own. You probably can't love your enemies on your own. You probably can't avoid lustful thinking on your own. You probably can't accomplish these things. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you, He begins to get to the root issue, begins to develop your heart. He begins to transform you by the renewing of your mind. And freedom is possible. And one of the ways we do that, one of the ways we're transformed is by praising God, is by worshiping Him and remembering who He is, that He's above the issues, He's above the pain, and He's above the sin. So Jesus, we come to you right now. We worship you and we dwell on who you are, what you're doing in our life. God, I thank you for the freedom that you bring. I thank you for the hope that is found in your name, Jesus. And God, in this moment, I pray that every single person gathered would get a greater glimpse of the purpose you're trying to lead them towards, not the punishment that you're trying to bring down on them. But God, that purpose would be the motivator. That purpose, that health, that hope, that a new life would be the focus. So Jesus, we worship you and we enter into that covenant relationship, that promise glorious future that you have for us. Come on church, would you worship all across